dropping on my face. It's a man, it's a man, watch that. It's a man, it's a man, watch that. It's a man, it's a man, watch that. Hello there, and welcome to the Matt Watch That podcast. I'm your host, Matt Sarosky, filmmaker, film fan. Each episode, I'm going to review a movie or TV pilot that I probably should have seen but never got around to. It could be a recent favorite, critic's choice, or cult classic. Everyone can join in on the fun. Follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, at Matt Sarosky. You can subscribe to my YouTube page where I'll post videos and clips from the show. If you have any opinions on what I've reviewed or suggestions as to what I should see next, use the hashtag MattWatchThat on social. Before we start, we're celebrating the 45th anniversary of Marathon Man, which was released on October 8th, 1976. So let's take a trip back to that year in the MattWatchThat time machine. In 1976, the United States was celebrating the Bicentennial, the President of the United States was Gerald Ford, a new house cost $43,000, the average family income was $16,000, a Ford Pinto would set you back about $3,000, a gallon of gas averaged $0.59, milk was $1.68 per gallon, eggs were $0.97 per dozen, paper towels were $0.49, A Big Mac was 75 cents, and if you ate one in 1976, it's still in your system. The cost of Aquanet hairspray was 59 cents and two layers of the ozone. People born in 1976, Chadwick Boseman, Ryan Reynolds, Tim Duncan, Renee Witherspoon, Blake Sheldon, Peyton Manning, Stephanie McMahon, Benedict Cumberbatch, Anna Faris, and Colin Farrell. On the sports front, The 1976 Summer Olympics were held in Montreal, the first Canadian city to host the Games. Winners received a medal and maple syrup. The 1976 Winter Olympics were held in Innsbruck, Austria. The Super Bowl champs were the Pittsburgh Steelers. The World Series was clinched by the Cincinnati Reds, known as the Big Red Machine. The Stanley Cup, which I've had the pleasure of seeing in person, was won by the Montreal Canadiens. The NBA Finals champions were the Boston Celtics and people still didn't care about soccer. In the entertainment business, Roots by Alex Haley was a best-selling non-fiction book. Some of the most popular television shows included Happy Days, Laverne and Shirley, MASH, Charlie's Angels, and The Six Million Dollar Man. Fun fact, The Six Million Dollar Man could have bought 2,000 Ford Pintos. Hotel California was released by the Eagles and would go on to sell 32 million copies worldwide. The highest-grossing films were All the President's Men, Rocky, Taxi Driver, The Omen, and this week's movie, Marathon Man. On to the main attraction. Each review will end with a ranking out of five stars. One star is Skip It. Two stars, Watch at Your Own Risk. Three stars, Standard Fair. Four stars, Worth Checking Out. And five stars, Must See. Now, if I give a title five stars, it doesn't mean I'm comparing it to Casablanca, Jaws, or Seinfeld. I rank titles based on other movies or TV series in that genre and at that time period. So let's jump into it. I'll keep the spoilers to a minimum, tangents to a maximum. These are my ruminations and observations of the movie Marathon Man from 1976. 
It was directed by John Schlesinger, who helmed Midnight Cowboy, Sunday Bloody Sunday, The Falcon and the Snowman, and Eye for an Eye. The screenplay was written by the legend William Goldman, based off his novel of the same name. We've run through his filmography before. Exquisite writer. The movie starts off with an elderly gentleman retrieving an item from a safety deposit box at the bank. It's a metal band-aid container, but we can assume that there is something more valuable inside. As he leaves, he hands it to another man and walks to his car. As he's driving, the vehicle breaks down in the middle of a New York City street, and a shouting match ensues with an impatient motorist. I'm not sure what the inspiration was, because that never happens in Manhattan. Their argument turns into a bout of road rage, and they both end up crashing into a fuel truck and perishing. Cut to... Thomas Babe Levy runs past the scene of the accident, observing the commotion before sprinting along. He's checking a stopwatch, and it's clear he's not out for a leisurely jog. He's portrayed by Dustin Hoffman, who starred in The Graduate, Tootsie, Hook, and won an Academy Award for Best Actor in a Leading Role for Rain Man and Kramer vs. Kramer. Babe returns to his apartment where he writes down his time. He turns on the television where news of the accident is being reported. The elderly gentleman killed was Klaus Zell, brother of Nazi Christian Zell, who was thought to have died as he fled Berlin at the end of World War II. In Paris, Babe's brother, Agent Henry Doc Levy, checks himself into a hotel. He's been working for Zell as a diamond courier. He's taken the metal band-aid container and hides it in an expensive box of chocolate before visiting antique dealer Leclerc. The shop owner wasn't expecting Doc and asks that he accompany him to the opera tonight where he'll supply what he's looking for. Doc agrees, and as he leaves, there's an attempt on his life. He's played by Roy Scheider of Jaws, The French Connection, and All That Jazz fame. Always a joy watching him on screen. Back in New York, Babe attends an exclusive class made of history students, having the dubious honor of being picked from over 200 applicants. The professor knew his father, H.V. Levy, who was a victim of McCarthyism and ended up taking his own life. When Babe decides to do his dissertation on McCarthy, the professor warns that he must write an objective doctoral thesis, not a crusade to avenge his father. Doc goes to a restaurant meeting up with his boss, Commander Peter Janway, who he informs that something suspicious is happening in Paris, only to be reassured that everything is fine. Janway is performed by William Devane, known for Knott's Landing, Family Plot, and the Bad News Bears in Breaking Training. Doc leaves to attend the opera, only to discover that Leclerc is dead. The next morning, he's attacked in his hotel room and comes to the realization that all the diamond couriers are being killed. But by whom? In a Spanish-speaking country, Christian Zell is hiding out. He's known as the White Angel because of the pronounced quaff of white hair. He changes his appearance to travel inconspicuously. He's been on the run to avoid paying for war crimes. Christian Zell is played by Laurence Olivier, known for Sleuth, Rebecca, and won an Academy Award for Best Actor in a Leading Role for Hamlet. Regarded as one of the greatest actors, and it's not hard to see why. Here's a quote without context. I don't think he knows anything, and I think he knows too much. So Babe is studying at the library, staring at a beautiful young woman. When she leaves, he chases after her with a book that has her name in it. She says thank you and goodbye about 37 times, but he basically follows her to the apartment before admitting that he stole the book so he could strike up a conversation with her. 1970s, charming. 2020s, stalking. They start to date, of course. She keeps track of his lap times and encourages him. Not sure how much time has passed, but it seems pretty fast to go from creepy courtship to bumping uglies. 
His girlfriend, Elsa Opel, is portrayed by Swiss actress Marth Keller, who had roles in Fedora, The Amateur, and Dark Eyes. Doc comes to New York City to visit Babe, but his true intentions are to track Christian Zell, who he believes has come to collect his expensive diamonds from the bank. His instincts are right as Zell arrives at JFK Airport. Good luck getting out of that place. The two men meet by a fountain in Arco Plaza, which is actually in downtown Los Angeles, but we'll ignore that since it's supposed to be Manhattan. They start airing out their grievances when Zell stabs Doc. He manages to make it to Babe's apartment before dying. Authorities are called. Janeway is alerted of the death and comes to the scene of the crime. He explains to Babe that his brother wasn't in the oil business. He was part of a specialized group in the government called the Division, who provides services for the FBI and CIA. Janeway says that Babe is now a target of whomever killed his brother, and wants to use him as bait. Will he go along with the plan? Marathon Man is a compelling drama. I was definitely intrigued from the opening moments because they didn't spell out everything. The filmmakers allowed the audience to be in the dark. There also weren't any chyrons telling us where we were. They didn't translate every piece of foreign dialogue. It's on the audience to figure it out. You can still follow the story, though. I like when my intelligence isn't insulted. The movie is well known for the torture scenes, and they are tough to bear. Now for a little trivial trivia. There is a famous urban legend that Dustin Hoffman stayed up all night to prepare for the torture scenes as part of his method acting style, and Laurence Olivier quipped, Why don't you just try acting? The cinematography was captured by Conrad L. Hall, whose filmography includes Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, Cool Hand Luke, Searching for Bobby Fischer, and the TV series The Outer Limits. This is something to look out for, literally. This was the second feature which Garrett Brown used his new invention, the Steadicam, but this film was the first released. It was edited by Jim Clark, who's known for Charade, This Boy's Life, The World Is Not Enough, and won an Academy Award for Best Film Editing for The Killing Fields. The score was composed by Michael Small, who wrote the music for Clute, The Parallax View, and was the best thing about Jaws The Revenge. It's a haunting score. If you were to put sound to the word menacing, I think this music would suit it well. Strong brass instrumentation. It's not something that I could listen to on its own, but paired with the images, it's highly effective. The runtime is 2 hours 5 minutes. There were definitely some places that it could have been cut down, but that's the impatient editor in me. It had a budget of 6.5 million and grossed 28.2 million at the box office. Ultimately, the movie comes down to Mercedes Bastard, Eyewitness News, Crash Diet, Baby Boom, Manufacturing Doctorates, Boss Tweed, Bottle of Mouton, Demon for Details, Relax, Praise from Caesar, and The Creep. I give it 4 out of 5 stars. Take off a star if you're not a fan of dentists. If you've seen Marathon Man and have opinions on the movie, let me know what you think using the hashtag MattWatchThat. Moving right along. Each episode, I'm going to post clips that I think people should watch. It could be movie trailers, music videos, interviews, or something completely random. Search for my YouTube page and there will be a playlist called Matt Watch That Playback. Jim Cornette. If you're unfamiliar with that name, he's a legendary manager of tag team The Midnight Express and has appeared in Mid-South Wrestling, Smoky Mountain Wrestling, CWA, NWA, WCW, WWE, ROH, and occasionally the YMCA. He hosts two incredibly funny and informative podcasts, Jim Cornette's Drive-Thru and The Jim Cornette Experience. 
Throughout his career, he was mostly a heel, aka bad guy, and lived through kayfabe where the wrestlers protected the business by not admitting that it was predetermined. So he tells a lot of interesting stories about dealing with fans threatening his life, vandalizing his car, throwing batteries and other objects as he came down the aisle, and being doused with unidentifiable liquid. As I've mentioned previously, I grew up during the golden age of wrestling and experienced the 80s wrestling boom, the new generation, and the Attitude Era. After WCW had folded, my interest in wrestling waned, but I continued to read the dirt sheets and watch Monday Night Raw on occasion. I supported the first few years of TNA wrestling, but that quickly turned into a cluster mess. I'm certainly interested to see where All Elite Wrestling goes, especially after the hype around CM Punk and Brian Danielson. But Jim Cornette is a wrestling historian and has a great mind for the business. He's known for his ability to cut a biting promo and honest commentary about the state of the industry. He is a traditionalist and views modern wrestling with all its flips and leg slaps as an efface to the business. I think most of the time, I agree with his views, and the storylines that he can create off the top of his head are often more entertaining than what's on WWE or AEW. I definitely respect his opinions, but he can be hard-headed at times. There is a lot of validity in today's wrestling. Some of these guys perform moves I've never seen before. It's pretty incredible to watch. But if you don't have engaging characters and intriguing storylines surrounding those great moves, then you're just watching people do great moves. You need the whole package to create a quality product. If you enjoy hearing stories about wrestling in the 80s and 90s and reviews on today's wrestling programs, then these podcasts are for you. Jim Cornette's Drive-Thru and the Jim Cornette Experience are available on most platforms. And while you're there, if you're not subscribed to the Matt Watch That podcast, it might be a good time to do so, right? I'm going to post a few of his commentaries in the Matt Watch That playback playlist on YouTube. Check it out. Now it's time for the recommendation. Yes, that's the word recommendation with Matt in the middle. I'm going to end each podcast with my own recommendation of a movie or TV series. Today I'm talking about The Last Drive-In on Shudder, featuring classic but mostly not-so-classic horror movies along with commentary and behind-the-scenes info from actor, film critic, and host Joe Bob Briggs. Some of the movies that have been showcased are The Changeling, Street Trash, Chopping Mall, Bloodsucking Freaks, Maniac, Dead Heat, Mother's Day, Bride of Reanimator, Evil Speak, and Humanoids from the Deep. Even when the movies are objectively bad, they're still fun to watch and Joe Bob Briggs' passion and insight makes it worth the view. On occasion, they will feature interviews with the filmmakers and have special guests, including AEW La Champion, The Demo God, Chris Jericho, actress Phyllisa Rose, and director Roger Corman. It's a spiritual successor to Joe Bob's Drive-In Theater on the Movie Channel and Monster Vision on TNT, which ran from 1996 to 2000. I have to admit that my summary of movies was inspired by drive-in totals from Joe Bob Briggs, though he's much more creative in his labels. I mean, aardvarking? Foo? It feels like there are endless streaming services, but if you're a horror movie fan, Shudder is worth subscribing to just for this program. They also have exclusive documentaries, series, and movies, along with some of your favorite horror classics, ones you might have forgotten, and let's admit, some you wish you could forget. 
The Last Drive-In with Joe Bob Briggs has been on for three seasons, 29 episodes, with eight specials starting in 2018. The series was renewed for season four and airs on Shudder. That's all for this edition of Matt Watch That. Thanks for listening to me babble. You can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Matt Sarosky. You can subscribe to my YouTube page where I'll post videos and clips from the show. If you have any opinions on what I've reviewed or suggestions as to what movie or TV pilot I should see next, use the hashtag MattWatchThat on social. I plan on having interactive elements, so follow, subscribe, and like for all the latest news, updates, and polls. Until next time, move out of there. Even when the films are objectively bad, they're still fun to watch, and Joe Bob's Briggs is jibba 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 The 1976 Winter Games were held in Innsbruck, Australia. Austria. Benedict Cumberbatch. Benedict. But he basically follows her to the apartment before admitting that he stole the book so he can stripe up. Stripe up. How about man up? Just talk to her, you dope. <laughs>